1: Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. I'm Tony Dickerson, one of the RHS's team of horticulture advisors based at RHS Garden Whisley in Surrey. Coming up in this edition, 150 years of the garden. No, not a historic plot, but the RHS's magazine for members. Editor Chris Young reveals the secrets of this award-winning magazine's enduring popularity with gardeners and garden lovers. Fertilisers. With so many products, it can be difficult to choose the right one for your plants. RHS experts explain the science behind the different choices. And, as always, we give you the latest news on RHS events across the UK. But first, between the April showers, there are plenty of jobs to be getting on with in the garden. Let's hear about some of the key tasks you can be tackling now.
2: My name's Julia Wilson, and I am the Edible Specialism student here at Wisley, um, which is part of the RHS School of Horticulture. I'm spending a year um, specialising in edible plants, which includes vegetables, fruit some edible flowers and herbs as well. I also write on the RHS Grow Your Own blog which you can get via Facebook. We give tips and updates of things that are happening in the garden at the moment. So when to sow, what to harvest, whether you need to be protecting certain things. Um, So we've been started doing a lot about seed sowing because that's quite um, a big job at this time of year. Um, Also some of the apple blossom has been looking absolutely beautiful so we've been putting up some pictures of that because it's just nice because uh, spring is here and you've got this colour and it's after kind of all the dreariness of winter and it's like these fireworks of colour and you've got the bees and that's starting to come out so it's lovely it gives you that kind of uh, sense of enlightenment. One of the jobs that we're doing at the moment, we're doing a lot of planting out. So planting out um, specifically summer brassicas, such as cabbages and cauliflower. Um, We started these off indoors, and when the young plants are ready to go out, then we've been putting them out um, in the kitchen garden. Um, One of the things that we have had to do is we've been protecting them with fleece, um, just because even though it's lovely and warm and the days are getting longer and it's nice and sunny, the evenings are still a little bit cold a little bit chilly and there's a few frosts around at the moment so just to give them that little bit of protection we're covering them with fleece Um, and then you know in a couple of weeks time when the threat of all the frost has passed then we'll be able to take them off. The cabbages we've been covering with netting because they're very prone to cabbage butterflies so it's really important to cover them even from an early stage because if the butterflies get on their caterpillars chomp through the cabbages in no time and you don't want to all your hard work sort of getting them to that stage to to go down the drain we've been harvesting my first harvest of the year was rhubarb which is great so last night i made a rhubarb crumble and it's lovely when you kind of have your first crop and are able to use it so that's really nice also asparagus is ready to pick and use in a nice spring salad i'm really looking forward to strawberries they're just coming to flower at the moment and this year at Wissey there's going to be a festival of strawberries so people will be able to come along and taste the strawberries. I'm also looking forward to potatoes. First, early potatoes are just starting to appear and then when we're starting also now to plant out some of our main crop potatoes and these will be ready for a late summer harvest. So it's it's good to have a variety of um, types of potato, having some early and some main crop and some late crops and then you can kind of spread it out over the year so you don't get too much of a glut at one time. The broad beans are also really looking good at the moment they're full of flower and the bumblebees are buzzing around them which is uh, which is good to see.
1: You can also find more information on all aspects of gardening techniques on the advice pages of the RHS website. There you can also watch video guides to key seasonal tasks go to rhs.org.uk forward slash advice. I'm Tony Dickerson, and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Now, this April marked the 150th anniversary of the RHS magazine, The Garden. Every month, RHS members receive a free copy through the post. The magazine is packed with beautiful, colourful photographs, information, practical gardening advice, interviews, and articles about all aspects of gardening. And, of course, news about the latest RHS campaigns and activities. We spoke to editor Chris Young to find out about the history of the magazine and to take a behind-the-scenes look at how it's produced.
3: The Garden Magazine is a monthly magazine and it goes to all RHS members so at the moment that's about 450,000 people that it goes to every month and our aim really is to share the best in gardening to share what we are doing as the RHS as an organisation but also to look at what Plants or gardens are popular at that time, what jobs to do there are, um, some of the key practical tasks. Um, So it's got a lot of practical elements, but also it's trying to celebrate gardening, uh, both with some beautiful photography to really celebrate and show the best of planting, um, garden design, new ideas... And that can be anything from an alpine gardener who's got a small garden in Hampshire to a large garden in Scotland. Or it could be a fruit collection in Wales to um, a collection of unusual bulbs uh, in Norfolk. And so we're really trying to get across the UK um, the diversity of plants, of gardens and people's interests generally. Obviously photography is so important the old cliche of a picture that paints a thousand words is is never truer in gardening Um, and uh, when the photography goes right you can just transport yourself into that garden and you can hear the wind or you can smell the flowers or you can feel that you're actually in that garden so photography is absolutely crucial Uh, but it's really important that we reflect our members interests in terms of what we do photograph and also that we explain photographs there's no point putting loads of uh, beautiful images in and not saying what the plants are or where they are. So we get our photography in quite a few different ways. We're very fortunate as a magazine because we still do commission quite a bit of photography. So when we are um, looking at an RHS plant trial, maybe growing at Wisley uh, in Surrey, we uh, will photograph that uh, and do what is our USP, which we call photographic plates. And the plates are just a really old-fashioned terminology for a collection of plants or fruit or veg um, on uh, one photograph. And it's a comparison. And this really is our USP. And this gives us the ability to not only photograph these beautiful plants and flowers um, in situation, but to explain the difference and explain the variety of them. So we have our commissioned photography, uh, and we also buy in imagery uh, from um, many different brilliant garden photographers, whether that's a plant group or a garden. When you have an organisation as large as the RHS, not only with its membership, but with its flower shows, with its archive, um, with its partner gardens across the UK, and its audit science work there's a lot of information to get out there and what we try and do is try and get it out in a good way through the magazine as a nice readable magazine uh, but also to remind people that actually there's so much for them to get engaged with at whatever level they want I think some people often feel a bit daunted by the RHS because you have to be a great gardener or you have to know your stuff Um, but it's very much our role to say well no you don't you can come in and be with the RHS at whatever level you like whether you're an expert or a beginner and we will take you on that journey of learning Um, because uh, all gardeners will say whatever experience whatever age there's always more to learn and hopefully we can help people learn. We just recently celebrated 150 years of a magazine regularly going to members. Uh, it's had, like all these things with um, organisations over 200 years old, it's had a mixed history, but it's been very stable for the last 40 years. Uh, it was renamed The Garden in 1975, which was an old magazine's name by uh, the great naturalist William Robinson uh, from Gravdai Manor and he had um, edited the garden in its former guise and then the title died out Uh, and then we uh, took it up, a group of people before me, took it up uh, in 1975 and took the, what was the RHS Journal into the garden and over those last 40 years has been a lot of change within it still Um, but the premise um, both of the garden and of the journal before that is really to celebrate the rhs and to get that information to its members who after all are its
1: organization chris young editor of the rhs's magazine for members the garden remember as well as the magazine rhs members also get free entry to all four rhs gardens plus the opportunity to buy priority tickets to our world-famous flower shows. You can find out more about the benefits of becoming a member of the RHS and book tickets to the shows and events on our website. Just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. This month, plants everywhere are bursting into life. This is a perfect time to get out and about and enjoy some beautiful gardens. Here are a few of the events and attractions to enjoy in the next few weeks. Join us for a feast of rhododendron displays, advice, walks and more at the Carr rhododendron show between the 14th and 15th of May. The Car rhododendron, camellia and magnolia group will be on hand with advice and expertise. And you can join an expert-led woodland walk or talk. And don't miss the rhododendron competition, featuring the very best specimens the region has to offer. Get your skates on because this weekend, the 30th of April to the 1st of May, all four RHS gardens will be hosting spring fairs. At Hyde Hall, the garden will host the Essex Craft and Design Show with more than 40 artists, craftspeople and designers who will show and sell fine art, photography, jewellery, ceramics and textiles. Dust off your taste buds for our sizzling Devon Chili Fiesta at Rosemore on the 7th to the 8th of May. This sizzling event will feature chili growers, products and all things hot and beautiful. Our all-weather Terrace marquee will house top producers from all over the UK with chili plants, chili sauces, chili sausages and fudge and chilli preserves to try and buy. And finally, for rhododendron fans in the south, join us at Wisley for the Rhododendron, Camellia and Magnolia Group centenary event on the 7th and 8th of May. A celebration of 100 years of the group will feature stunning displays, competition classes, features on new cultivars, and advice on using these plants in various garden situations. Join tours of Wisley's Magnolia and Rhododendron collection at Batterton Hill between 10am and 4pm. These four events are all free with normal garden admission. Details of these and hundreds of other events are available on our website at rhs.org.uk forward slash on. Now fertilizers. These are concentrated sources of nutrients for plants. There are hundreds of different types available in shops and garden centers and you can make your own too. It can be confusing deciding which types of fertilizer is suitable for which plants particularly for those new to gardening. And what are the benefits, and are there any risks of giving your plants extra feed? I met with Jim Arbery from Wisley to discuss the science and practical uses of fertilisers. Well, we're here on a beautifully sunny day here in spring. Um, Winter seems to have gone, at least for a day. We're looking at wonderful plants all around us, from herbaceous plants through to great big towering trees, and all appear to be making an awful lot of growth. And we're here today to talk, Jim, a bit about fertilisers, what they are and what they're not and um, I suppose we need to start Yeah, literally, what, what is a fertiliser?
4: Fertilisers are essentially something which is adding nutrients for plant growth other than those that naturally occur in the soil.
1: And I guess we've got some big oak trees here we wouldn't think about feeding those we would expect their extensive root systems to get whatever they need from the soil and so on but I guess for most of the other plants we're looking around us here especially those which are Uh, put in the ground and then remove later like the bedding plants and of course the trees some of the smaller trees and shrubs here we're pruning so i guess we're removing nutrients in those plant materials so we need to to add some to get these wonderful displays that we're looking at now i suppose roughly we can divide fertilizers into what might call organic or natural and uh, artificial i mean uh, what, what what do we mean there by artificial fertilizers
4: Artificial fertilisers, those that have been manufactured in, in some way rather than organic which might be naturally occurring such as manures, composts, some liquid feeds which would be directly derived from organic material without a manufacturing process.
1: And I suppose if we're looking at a, a, an artificial or man-made fertiliser, I suppose one that the listeners will be very familiar with will be Grow More or Vitax Q4, you know, uh, well-known uh, formulations. And those are what we call compound fertilisers. Now, now, again, what do we mean when we talk about a compound fertiliser?
4: A compound fertiliser is delivering several nutrients, Possibly all the new main nutrients that would be needed in one fertilizer. So rather than a fertilizer which is what we would call a straight, which would only be delivering one or perhaps two nutrients. So Growmore delivers nitrogen, potassium, as we call potash, and phosphates in a formulation where we can you can apply it just as one application. Some others, like the Vitax Q4, also include some trace elements as well, mm. because plants need. The three main elements nitrogen, potash, and phosphate, but they also need other nutrients in lesser quantities, no less important, just need less of them.
1: And I guess the crucial thing for listeners here is that all these products will have what we call the NPK formula uh, N for nitrogen, P for phosphates, and K rather confusingly for potassium or potash. And I guess, um, I mean, most soils are pretty rich in phosphates, aren't they? Most cultivated soils. And I think at this time of year, it's probably nitrogen, which is the one thing that's quite low in the soil because it's soluble, it's washed out. But certainly these, these compounds, like grow more, are very easy for like shorthand way for gardeners to apply some fertiliser around their plants and know that they're at least meeting the, the main requirements basically nitrogen is it's what encourages strong green growth and i say at this time of year nitrogen's short supply in the soil because it's been washed out by the winter rains and the microbes in the soil are yet to release it from Organic matter in the soil itself. Phosphates, I suppose, generally while encouraging good rooting and uh, uh, good growth. But as I say, phosphates, they certainly in cultivated soils are normally at fairly good levels and uh, probably most soils don't need too much in the way of additional phosphates. And then we have potash or potassium and that's generally regarded as something that's encouraging good flowering and fruiting and uh, tomato fertilisers, for example, are high in potash and obviously there we're harvesting the fruit the tomato itself those compound fertilizers hey, really combine the three main elements but we further divide them sometimes into what we call slow release and controlled release now i think this is something again gardeners get confused about jim they're not the same thing are they
4: no slow release is when they're in a form which will break down slowly which will probably be in the case of vitax q4 also something like bone meal but it's not actually controlled. Controlled release are fertilisers which are usually in a a pelleted form, so they're coated with a coating, and that breaks down slowly in a a controlled way, or a fairly controlled way. It will depend on soil moisture and temperature, about how fast it does break down, but it's controlled rather than just releasing
1: slowly. We also talk about liquid feeds, and we'll, we'll say a bit more about those in a moment, but again, going back to the main elements... If you want to feed high amounts of nitrogen early on, then the gardeners will probably be looking at a product such as sulphate of ammonia. And if you want to boost the amount of potash or potassium, then there's sulphate of potash. We call those straights, they're just, if you like, in a sense, pure uh, elements. Uh, of those particular fertilisers but I say most gardeners will use a general compound fertiliser early on and um, if they're organic gardeners though they'll be looking at other products and uh, I mean what would be the sort of organic equivalents of growmore Jim?
4: There are some equivalents blood blood, fish and bone aims to give an equivalent of something like growmore because it has the blood is the nitrogen and the bone particularly the phosphate and so on so it gives a, a reasonable mix of NPK nitrogen phosphate and potash also pelleted chicken manure will give all three although it 's more nitrogen than the other two so that they 're both going to give some of each actually most of the organic materials will be giving more than just one they 're not they don 't tend to really be straights in most cases
1: and so if we 're talking about natural based products Jim we 've got garden compost and also of course animal manures which are, Uh, Certainly uh, gardeners who follow no-dig regimes and so on rely very much on manure and so on. What about garden compost? I mean, as a a source of nutrients, I mean, how useful actually is it? Both manures and garden composts are
4: are useful. Garden compost doesn't have a, a huge amount of nutrients in. It tends to have more potash relative to nitrogen, whereas manures tend to have more nitrogen than potash, roughly speaking. They're useful because they also improve the structure of the soil and often the moisture-holding ability of the soil, or in the case of clay soils, actually improve the drainage of the soil. So they're useful in more than one way, and they're giving a certain amount of feed. It's not a a lot of feed, but it it is useful.
1: You might sort of uh, say organic gardening is all about actually feeding the soil, Whereas with the, the artificial fertiliser and so on, we're also well, we're usually talking about feeding the plants. But organic gardeners have this approach where they're looking to feed the soil, build up the community of soil organisms in the soil that in turn break down the organic matter and release the nutrients in them, very often in a rather s- slow release form. But it's a, it's a different approach to uh, gardening and um, it's one that's certainly very uh, popular and increasingly popular as gardeners. Many gardeners want to switch away from artificial fertilisers which do involve large amounts of energy and raw materials. How do you make a choice here? Well, well, generally speaking, any organic matter is good for the soil. So you'll be feeding the soil and improving its structure and the uh, natural community of organisms within the soil. After that, most gardeners say if you apply a compound fertiliser, grow more, or if you're organic fish, blood and bone, those certainly will provide uh, the basic elements, especially applied in spring, late winter, spring, when plants certainly need those. Over and above that, of course, there are then specialist uh, crops and specialist feeds and so on. And, uh, I mean, where would one be looking, Jim, to use particular types of fertiliser?
4: Well, you get some that have that are given a sort of name. We've got tomato fertilizer, as often known, which essentially is a liquid feed, fairly high in potash. Actually, useful for a wide range of plants because it encourages flowering and fruiting, often fruit plants, many vegetables, but also flowering plants as well. It's, it's very good. Rose fertilizers. They're usually again high in potash, but they're ones that would be applied as a a base dressing rather than as a liquid feed, and they're usually very good for fruit since roses are quite related to fruit. you know The fact it says one name on it doesn't mean you can't use it for several different uh, crops, really, f- or plants. Yeah.
1: And I suppose that's actually crucial, isn't it? If you're an exhibition grower of flowers or fruit or vegetables, you, you probably want a precise fertiliser for your agapanthus or your marrows or whatever. Uh, but for the general gardener, if you look at the NPK formula, if you want something to put on your tomatoes or to encourage your Uh, fruit trees to produce strong, good, healthy fruit, then you'd be looking for potassium potash. And it really doesn't matter if the product's labelled agapanthus feed or tomato feed or whatever. It's that MPK formula, isn't it, that's crucial in actually determining what's actually available there for the plant.
4: Yeah, it certainly is. And when you're choosing fertilisers to buy, when I'm choosing them, certainly if I'm going buying some at home, I I will look at the analysis of what's in them, how much of each. Mm. and decide that way rather than what it says yeah whether it's tomato potato um, rose or or whatever i'd be looking at at the analysis
1: i was discussing fertilizers with jim arbery at our wesley garden in surrey you can find more information about plant feeds on the rhs website search fertilizers at rhs.org.uk forward slash advice So that's all we have time for in this edition. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Tony Dickinson, and all the RHS Gardening Podcast team, goodbye.